We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Good morning, everybody. And they got the whole world in their hand. 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 At least in their diluted predator class nepotistic viewpoint of social Darwinism. They believe they should rule because they do and they have. It's inherent. They are the ones that should inherit uh, inherit the vast, bountiful resources of this world. And I'm not going to lie. Today's show is going to be pretty starkly dark, in my opinion, because it shows that this agenda is not new. I and many others have been talking about it for a very, very long time, and it had been openly discussed by many of what some would call globalists, because they call themselves that, and I would adhere to that term because this is about the centralization of power. They quote global governance and the idea of eroding sovereignty bit by bit over time in order to achieve their agenda. And there's a stark reminder out there that one of the tools that they've used is science. And now we're talking about artificial intelligence. But we're going to show you a clip from 1973, six years before I even walked this earth. Six years before there was a baby bee out on the streets. You know what I'm saying? There is this amazing piece. And we've played some Club of Rome pieces before. And mind you, one of the things they don't discuss 
with the club club of Rome, or at least emphasize, right, is the fact that this machine that they use, old AI, right, this computer that's going to tell you how to live and how many people can live and the extent of our resources, which, by the way, are plentiful and bountiful, and they are the actual renewable things on this planet to support a life force. No, no, no. No matter what they put into the computer, we were bad and we couldn't stop basically the destruction of our own population. So we better let these people do it for us. They better manage it. And really, Klaus Nutschwab is just the new face of this. Now, he's been working for a long time. His organization, World Economic Forum, Davos, intricate to be the face of this. The smiley, happy face. Ah, yeah. Klaus Nutschwab in the house. All right, we're being silly. It's Reality Rants. We got a lot, lot, lot to go through. I'm Jason Burmis, your host. I want to thank you guys uh, for coming in. Hit that thumbs up, like, whatever platform you're watching on. Please make sure you're subscribed. It's so funny, like, over the weekend, uh, somebody who I've met through the Union of the Unwanted, libertarian type, we followed each other and had some DM communications. He got into a thread where um, he saw that Militich had said something. And he, Milicic had literally just left my house because we were watching fights on both Friday and Saturday night. And he goes, hey, uh, we're not following each other anymore. Huh. So I'm sure everything's fixed to Twitter. I'm sure that my account hasn't been frozen again. Go look at it. I am, I've gained no followers. I've gained no followers on YouTube, no followers on Twitter. We're doing a daily show on both that's still reaching, you know, conservatively, 10,000 people bottom of the barrel across the board, really around 20,000. But no, we can't gain any followers. You know, we're only talking about microchip being a FBI informant and the actual bot farms not being Russian at all. And the fact the FBI knew this, no big deal. Oh, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that not only were these guys involved before the election and through the election, um, but that they were connected to and possibly helped start Q. No big deal. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Let's let's say it's Michael Flynn. <laughs> like, what is going on? Like, you're right. We can't get we can't get a new audience. So listen, I need your help now more than ever. Share the show with other people. That's how we're we're uh we're gonna beat this thing. And I truly believe we are. You know, I saw already in the comments, this is God's world. Look, I don't think. I think their arrogance will be their undoing at some point. However, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, they already did some bad things in the last few years, guys. So, some and they're doing a bad thing today. Like everybody's going to be on the Trump train today. And, and for good reason, it's a immense day in history because it's really showing the teeth of not just the deep state in this country, but really the globalist cabal that wants complete command and control. And if you step out of line in any way, no, 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 we'll put you in jail. And they do that in a lot of other countries. 
Now, most guys here have played ball when they haven't. I mean, Kennedy wasn't the first uh, assassination. Unfortunately, politics is bloody globally. So instead of what everybody else is doing, okay, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's worth covering, and talking ad nauseum about Stormy and Bragg and his day of, Trump's day of reckoning, the day of reckoning. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, again, you know, apparently there wasn't going to be any kind of a, a perp walk at 2.15 today, which is 1.15 my time. He's supposed to be before the judge. Media circuit, get ready for it. But what we're going to do is we're actually uh, going to play Trump talking at Diggity Davos in 2020, January, and maybe on the premium side of the broadcast we're gonna he talks for like 40 minutes so we're not gonna watch all that but there's this five minute segment that really is gonna encapsulate what we're gonna talk about today because this 1973 clip of the club of rome just lays it out and then i believe it's professor ian pilmer and he's a scientist oh my good i thought the science was settled ian Ian Pilmer uh, authored something called Green Murder. And in these three clips, which I think amount to, I don't know, uh, 15 or so minutes of like an hour plus presentation that's on YouTube that I totally recommend everybody watch because it's brilliant. And uh, the, the guy is just, I've never seen or heard of him before, but he makes a, a dinosaur analogy that I constantly talk about you know, in essence. And what do I mean by that? Uh, I'll, I'll save it for him to talk about the asteroid, and the dinosaurs and all these things. But I always say, look, man, I have no clue. I have no clue. I am a 40 year old dude. That is a beauty school dropout that can barely assess what in the flickle schnick truckle schnuck has been going on. I try to do my best. My information is limited. And then I look around and I see how so many other people don't even have that desire to break it down or just unaware to begin with. And honestly, it, it, that's to their detriment because I don't believe that ignorance is bliss. I think knowledge is power. Truth is power. Truth is the true love that we all need to embrace because the more truthful we are with one another, the more discernment we have, the more open discussion and communication that we can share with one another. Hopefully, we're going to have a better world, you know, and try not to bring violence into that equation or limit it to those who, who, who will basically accept nothing else, unfortunately. You should always be able to defend yourself, right? We don't have any of that. We have a monopoly on violence. And... Before I go further and play this Trump clip, I, I do want to just show something. And, you know, speaking of how we're going to share things and get things out there, I'm going to share this. Beyond the reset. Now, I watched this day's Tuesday. So I think it was either Thursday or Friday I came across it. Um, possibly Saturday. It could have been as late as Saturday. Powerful. I'm surprised it's still on YouTube, to be quite honest. Uh, I, I may end up doing a watch along with it. but it's extremely powerful. When I first started watching it, um, I know that 
those who have followed me for a while know about I Pet Goat 2 by Heliofan. And that was like a powerful nine-minute piece, a lot more spirituality, amazing graphically, uh, you know, takes the cake there. But this um, is extremely well done and extremely powerful and really i mean it's got a great message at the end as well well i hope it stays up on youtube i uh, had about like i said a hundred thousand views when i watched it almost four hundred thousand now uh this thing needs to go super mega viral and uh i, I think eventually it probably will be taken off of youtube uh, I think it was by some Oleg gentleman. I don't remember what his last name is, but shout out to him. I should get him on the show. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And in fact, I think I'm going to reach out. That would be a great guest because beyond the reset, you know, it doesn't. And I, yeah, no, it does. It, it calls Klaus Nutschwab out by face and name. I don't want to spoil too much of it for you, but uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. All right. So. First things first, we're going to start this bad boy off with Trump at Davos after being introduced by Klaus Nutschwab, all right, in 2020, January. Now, this is just shy, I believe, of three months before the shiznizzle goes down in this country and around the globe and things start getting locked down in March. Much... Much to Trump's discredit, shouldn't have listened to Pompeo and I'm sure Barr on the side and all these other, uh, you know, bastardly people. I, Bill Barr is terrible. Michael Pompeo is terrible and trying to run for president right now. Yuck. Ew. Disgusting. I believe, remember, this is Davos post event 201, which happened in October. And actually, this is a big story that I haven't talked about yet. Where well, we got to bring that up? I forgot. Do I have that? Uh, let's see. Yes, it is. <laughs> so just check this out. Just saying. Is this more proof that the truth was held before the world? Okay, December 2019, days before China raised the alarm, we're looking at a German man in Germany with this. Now. I've said before, the evidence to me is clear it was in the United States, probably in October and November, maybe even in September, by the way. Just point that out there. Just point that out. So really, I think this was in preparation. Obviously, people were in the know. I, I want to leave it at that because we're on YouTube. But th this is right before everything's going to be kicking off. So let me cue it up. And what I think I, I cue it up right around the time that Trump is also talking about not only energy independence here, which, of course, you know, big deal, big deal on the energy independence and how they should be sharing it with Europe. And what are we talking about now? We don't have any oil reserves. We're at the behest of Saudi Arabia. The, the, uh, the OPEC, the petrodollar is done. Lots of great stuff. That's in the background. I let other people talk about that. It is extremely important, but it's the kind of thing I've been talking about forever. And to, to really get down to how, again, that's been eroded over time, but really uh, speedballed through this administration in particular, because it's the zombie globalist uh, administration. Joe Biden doesn't run anything. 
He he's the most puppety puppet I've ever seen in my life visually. At least the other puppets out there could speak on their own. They still knew how to talk. I mean, when he was asked about OPEC yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he's, yeah, what? He's, yeah, what? what? They got to go, OPEC, as he gets on the plane, OPEC. And he goes, it's not going to be as bad as you think. What? <laughs> Clown show. So I just, I, I had to, we, again, we should, we're, we're probably going to watch this whole thing in retrospect in the second half. But, but this is a chunk that absolutely needs to be watched and needs to have us pay attention to a period, okay? Because Klaus Schwab, who is the head of oh, the World Economic Forum, of course, I just Trump, didn't do it. There's Klausi. Congratulations. On there. And we're going to keep it that way. And we just came out with a report that at this moment, it's the cleanest it's been in the last 40 years. We're committed to conserving the majesty of God's creation and the natural beauty of our world. Today, I'm pleased to announce the United States will join One Trillion Trees Initiative being launched here at the World Economic Forum. One Trillion Trees. Man, did I, I, I may have also, oh, I had it queued up. It, it's actually probably before this, the One Trillion Tree thing. But I'm not sure. So now, now we're now we're gonna have to maybe bear through a little bit more Trump. But hey, it's his day, right? It's his day. Let's see. Let's let's start here at 21. Ending digital trade, reshoring lost jobs, and ensuring rising wages and living standards. The United States has also concluded a great new trade deal with Japan, approximately 40 billion dollars, and completely renegotiated our deal with South Korea. We're also negotiating many other transactions with many other countries. And we look forward to negotiating a tremendous new deal with the United Kingdom. We have a wonderful new prime minister. Wants very much to make a deal, as they say. Uh, every time I watch, you gotta admit, like, it, it's card make a deal, as they say. And that, we we are definitely before the point that we're going to go. And if we do do the rewatch on the other side, we'll we'll skip most of this and we'll have the meat meat and potatoes. But let's continue. To protect our security and our economy, we are also boldly embracing American energy independence. The United States is now by far the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. By far, it's not. I, it's not even close. And and look, give the man credit. He did this. He was the man on this because it was big business for a lot of his buddies and cronies. And, you know, again, one of the things you got to give Trump is he didn't go for the green agenda. And, he, and, and by the way, he, he teabags him in this right, right here. He, he tells you what it's really about. It's about the command and control. So say whatever you want about the guy I have. It's kind of my gig, right? And you should, too. This part of this speech is spot on. Not even close. While many European countries struggle with crippling energy costs, the American energy revolution is saving American families $2,500 every year in lowering electric bills and numbers that people said couldn't happen. And also, very importantly, prices at the pump. 
We've been so successful that the United States no longer needs to import energy from hostile nations. With an abundance of American natural gas now available, our European allies no longer have to be vulnerable to unfriendly energy suppliers either. We urge our friends in Europe to use America's vast supply and achieve true energy security. Notice, by the way, throughout this right here, everybody is stone cold silent. And you're going to see what he does bring up the tree thing that we we uh, are about to get to. That's exactly where I wanted to start. So we didn't we didn't do too bad there, actually. He's not wrong there. And had we continued with that and didn't start a war with Russia, we'd have cheaper energy prices and what? Cheaper gas at the pump. And so it would be harder to choke out Europe as well, you know, because we wouldn't have bombed the Nord Stream pipeline. And no big deal. With U.S. companies and researchers leading the way, we are on the threshold of virtually unlimited reserves of energy, including from traditional fuels, LNG, clean coal, next generation nuclear power. They don't like hearing clean coal. They don't like hearing next generation nuclear power. No, no, no. Because those work. And by the way, I'm not saying that all coal is clean. Some of the real pollution is the mercury runoff of those plants, among other things. You have to acknowledge that. But not so worried about the carbon emissions. Just saying. Not so worried about those. And gas hydrate technologies. At the same time, I'm proud to report the United States is among the cleanest air and drinking water on Earth. And we're going to keep it that way. And we just came out with a report that at this moment, it's the cleanest it's been in the last 40 years. We're committed to conserving the majesty of God's creation and the natural beauty of our world. See, this is one of my favorite parts of this right here. Before he starts calling them out. This is where he talks about the trillion trees, you know, because our resources in large part, the ones we need to live are what? Actually renewable, not recycling trash renewable, like renewable, like the life force of the planet. Like we take a tree, we use a tree, the tree, you know, keeps us warm. It makes paper. It does stuff. It's a pencil. It builds a house, right? Then we plant a tree and it grows again. And so it continues. So when he talks, they don't like trees. Oh, trees, actually, they need carbon to live. We're trying to reduce our carbon. But we're not going to have trees reduce the carbon for us. Weird. Weird. (laughs) So right here, Listen to the crowd. Like one person's like, oh, do should I clap for this one? I mean, we're kind of joining the tree thing too. We don't want to clap for the guy, but let's clap. Today, I'm pleased to announce the United States will join One Trillion Trees Initiative being launched here at the World Economic Forum. One Trillion Trees. And then it picks up though. <laughs> and in doing so, we will continue to show strong leadership in restoring, growing, and better managing our trees and our forests. This is not a time for pessimism. This is a time for optimism. Fear and doubt 
is not a good thought process because this is a time for tremendous hope and joy and optimism and action. Just think about that. And just that message alone right there. This is just before the COVID-1984 nightmare kicks off. Fear and doubt. A lot of that after this. It's not a good mindset to have. And, and I, I get it. You know, Trump tried to be as positive as possible. He let the demons win. All right? He let the demons. And, it, and it's, it's to his fault. It's, it's kind of like you look at Julian Assange. Okay? The man ran on, love the WikiLeaks, can't get enough of the WikiLeaks. Have you seen the WikiLeaks? And then as soon as everybody was like, he was in, and he was like, we're going to lock Hillary up, right? No, 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 no. We're, guys, calm down. Wait a minute, we're going we're gonna to not go after Assange, right? Mm, we'll see if we can cut a deal. Then they don't. Hey, hey, Donnie, there shouldn't have been any deal cut other than the fact that our DOJ isn't going after him and never goes after him because he didn't break any laws. He's not an American citizen. He was trying, trying to tell the world and American citizens what was going on globally, not just with us, so arrogant of us. We just happen to be, you know, pretty bastardly in a lot of those documents. Vault 7, anyone? To their own citizens. Five Eyes, anyone? All that stuff. Five Eyes, that's Snowden. He failed on that one too. But at least he didn't say, love the Snowden, can't get enough of the Snowden. He did that. And now the irony is that today, they want to perp walk and they want to arrest his ass too. They wanted to arrest you too, Donnie T. And they're doing it. Should have stood up for Assange then. Should have stood up to the COVID-1984 monsters then. It seems like at least on the back end, you had enough knowledge. These people were not to be trusted you were in the room with. And that's about to come up. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. They are the heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers, and I have them, and you have them, and we all have them. And they want to see us do badly, but we don't let that happen. They predicted an overpopulation crisis in the 1960s, mass starvation in the 70s, and an end of oil in the 1990s. These alarmists always demand the same thing, absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. Boom! Mic drop! I mean, that's about as concise a description as we have for what we're about to watch in this Club of Rome 1973 piece. You understand? About as concise of a description as you can get. Donnie knows who he's talking to. So what happened, Donnie T? We will never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country, or eradicate our liberty. Globalists, collectivists, you can call it socialism or communism if you like. I know that's the buzz term and what so many people want to talk, call it here. No, these are globalist monsters, all right, collectivists. Command and control, all right? Regiment all lives and all aspects of those lives, the whole world in their hand. America will always be the proud, strong, and unyielding bastion of freedom. In America, we understand what the pessimists refuse to see. 
that a growing and vibrant market economy focused on the future lifts the human spirit and excites creativity strong enough to overcome any challenge, any challenge by far. So once again, sounds good, Donnie. Very, very happy with what you're saying there. They've crushed that. They've crushed, they want to crush creativity. They get it. They get, they're not naive. What they, they understand it, but that creativity to them, right? That technology that could cause upward mobility for us, that threatens the status quo. That threatens what? Not only their globalist new world order, Okay, that's society, but they're transhumanist and eventually, unfortunately, post-human future they have planned for this planet. That's that's the reality. And so we're going to stop that there. Uh, again, that's a it's a 30-minute speech. Maybe we'll uh, we'll go back and we'll watch that in the second hour. We'll see how much time we have left. Again, can we get the thumbs up? Can we get the likes in? I mean, they're putting the man in jail today. And hopefully they're letting them go. Let's hope they, they, they don't put the uh, gag order on them. But it seems like a foregone conclusion they're going to put the gag order on them. Which is, to me, I believe that the gag order is there, not just so he doesn't talk about it, but hopefully so they can get him to say something stupid on the record, you know, from his ego and not thinking, and then just put him in jail anyway for the 30 days. We told you not to talk about it, Donnie T. Sorry, Trump and House, jail for you. Jail for you. Just just because they they can. That's where we're at. I mean, ugh. So this is a Club of Rome 1973 piece. Now, in, remember, Club of Rome predates the World Economic Forum. They're all in the same wheelhouse, right? These think tanks, these organizations. And, and really what they end up being is the mouthpieces for the agenda, right? Like the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and the World Health Organization, they, they love to pump up today's world thought leaders. The thought, I mean, the Bernaysian language they use is over the top, but it's the thought leaders. Now, this is Club of, the, Club of Rome, 1973. Their old school computer systems and the doom the doom of human society, unless, unless what? We make drastic changes. And of course, they reference our cars, overpopulation, and more. Let's get to it. The program called World One doesn't pretend to be a precise forecast. What it does for the first time in man's history on the planet is to look at the world as one system. It shows that Earth cannot sustain present population and industrial growth for much more than a few decades. It shows that simply cleaning up our car exhausts and making some small effort to limit our families simply isn't enough. It's like an electronic guided tour of our global behavior since 1900. So just so everybody understands, even then, 73, with their primitive computers when the science was settled, not having, you know, forget about just having less kids and the, oh, no, we're going to have to do more. Or or in several decades, we're on the road to doom. So like 2003-ish before I could, uh, actually 2003, so how, how old is my, I'm 24 in 2003. I'm an old man. 
You know, I can do it all. Wow. I mean, but that, I guess, was supposed to be the end of the world. Just like the Mayans predicted 2012. So many people told, told me about 2012 and it wasn't going to be the end of the world. It was going to be like a polarity flip. And George Lucas was buying into stuff like that. The poles will shift. And guys, let's grow up. Okay. Again, the prophets of doom. Be very, very wary of those prophets of doom when the, the enemy is invisible. It's invisible. It's not a person, an organization, a piece of legislation, a politician, a political body, an institution. No, it's invisible. And it engulfs the planet. And, and there's a group of people within institutions that are going to save you from it. That'd be, whoa. And where that behavior will lead us. Well, this is the printed version of what we've just seen on the television screen. And what looks at first to be just a maze of computer characteristics is really a system of very simple graphs which project what's going to happen to the planet over the next 150 years if we don't do something drastic to stop it. Down the left-hand side of the graph is the date, 1900, 1940, 1980, 2020, right down to 2060. Now, each of these lines of, of letters represents a curve showing some aspect of the condition of the planet. The further out this way they go, the greater that figure is, the further this way, uh, the less. For example, P represents population. So here it is at 1900, and then it comes up to 1940, it starts to take off. Here we are at 1980, up to the turn of the century, and then it starts to peter off. Let's now have a look at this next curve, the Q curve, which is the quality of life. And this is represented by, for example, the amount of space people have, the uh, amount of money they have to spend, the amount of food they have to eat. Now, it increases rapidly up to 1940. But from 1940 on, the quality of life diminishes. And here we are about the turn of the century, and we come up to the year 2020, and it's really come right back. So... By the way, we're in 2023, and look, they, they are trying to slowly erode our quality of life. And look, 1940 is one thing, right? That's post-World War II, boom. That's a house, two cars, one person, 40 hours a week. Our currency has been devalued, all right? Resource control has been consolidated. It is a manufacturing of not the standard of living of everybody going down through that. That's not what's been done. I mean, think about how third world uh, nations have been elevated to second and sometimes first world nations over our generations. You can say what you want about China, but obviously the standard of living in many places there has gone up. It's been eroded in the West. It's been slowly uh, eroded in European nations, right? Because that's what they're pushing the end of the haves and the have-nots, but they don't want to tell you about the have-everythings, right? You will own nothing and be happy. So all of it's manufactured, but they, but they, they got a science graph sheet right there. It's going to tell you that your standard of living just... No, they want your standard of living to plummet. Something that you know, I haven't played in a while on here, I used to play it all the time, that Dennis Bushnell told you would happen as the Asians... And their uh, 
and their society came up into the one plus billion. You understand? That's that's the reality. All right, let's go back to this because it gets really stark really quick. Or people, of course, means that you start to chew up your supply of natural resources. And this is this curve here, the N curve, that shows that slowly but steadily, the pool of natural wealth in the world, natural resources, minerals, oil, and so on, is slowly but steadily diminishing. So, And again, Trump talked about how they said it was going to be the end of oil and a starvation crisis, all these things, all these things. Again, renewable resources. They call them fossil fuels, but are they? Oh, Jason, it's really controversial there. Just saying, it's been out there for a long time now that it's actually something that is renewable within, you know, the life cycle of the planet. Just pointing that out, just putting it out there. But no, 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 it has to be. I remember during uh, the 9-11 Truth Days when certain people would promote the idea that the reason that 9-11 had actually happened was the United States needs to monopolize the resources because of peak oil. They were talking about peak oil by 2010 or 2015 and never happened action jackson not not real again fear of the invisible fear of the unknown let's control them through fear this is the situation as population increases the quality of life decreases and the supply of natural resources decreases but have a look at this curve here this is called the z curve and it represents pop uh, pollution now predictably enough as the population increases up to 1980, pollution increases. There's more rubbish. But from 1980 to the year 2020, pollution really takes off. This is assuming, of course, that we don't do anything about it. So the year 2020, the condition of the planet be, starts to become highly critical. And See how it's pollution, but it's always too many people doing too many things like um, Ted Turner said. Too many, too many people doing too many things. That's why we got climate change. Not just global warming anymore, right? That's why we got climate change. So again, we're at 2020. I'm not saying we're the cleanest, but they got like a rocket ship to nowhere. We should be living in Mad Max land. We didn't change much. No, we don't do anything about it. This is what's going to happen. The quality of life is going to go right back to practically zero. Pollution is going to become so serious right out here that it will start to kill people so the population will diminish now where have we heard this before oh yeah that's right that earth 2100 with anthony fauci right eric schmidt from google at the time van jones john podesta james woolsey all those characters saying that climate change was gonna cause the weather to hurt us more and cause what? Zoological viruses, zoonotic viruses. Oh, biological threats, famines, droughts, all the, all the, the, the horses of the apocalypse, all cause we're bad. Same thing, same garbage being promoted by the club of Rome back in the Dizze right back here, less than it was in the year 1900. And at this stage, around about the year 2040, 2050, civilized life as we know it on this planet will cease to exist. Well, hopefully, of course, if 2040, 
2050, civilized life is going to cease to exist. Now, I hope I'm around in 2040, 2050, 17, 27 years uh, from now. You know, that bottom line, I'm, I hope most of us are here. If they push Agenda 2030 through, even if it takes a little longer, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it's looking for the global populace in the next 12 to 36 months. I think there's going to be some aftershock. Okay, that's when I think we're really going to start to see uh, some bad stuff happen that a lot of people didn't expect. What, what that bad stuff is, uh, you can guess, but we're on, we're on YouTube, so I don't want to speculate anymore. But here we are, Club of Rome, the purveyors of doom that Trump was talking about, talking about these things, you know, a generate the prophets of doom a generation ago. And uh, we're just going to let them continue here. I mean, this now is literally 50-year-old propaganda that they're still pushing on us. It won't be allowed to happen, but it's taken this kind of shock treatment to nudge governments into doing something, and slowly we are. We're starting to clean up our atmosphere. We're starting to recycle our rubbish. We're doing something positive about population control. But so far, our efforts have really been just a drop in the ocean. The Club of Rome comprises some 70 men of widely varying backgrounds. But their common concern is that the world problems cannot be solved by individual nations. I spoke with Professor Hugo Tiemann, director of the Battelle Institute Geneva, Dr. Aurelio Pache, founder of the club, and Dr. Alexander King, director of the World Bank and the United Nations OECD. Oh, the World Bank and the United Nations. Now, you know what? I love the World Bank. I, I, you know, banks and, and global government together, they obviously have the little guy in mind. You know, when they talk about equity, they mean it. When they talk about diversity, they love it. You know, they're not beholden to a system of manipulation, greed, corruption, and monopolization. No, no not the World Bank. <laughs> I love the World Bank. They're numero uno. King, now you're describing the world as a closed system where all these things are interrelated, and yet the government, the control of the system is by individual nation states. Now, how do you convince them to cooperate? The sovereignty of these nations is no longer as absolute as it was. I mean, let's 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 bring it in nice and zoomy. This guy is about to tell you straight up 15 years ago or 50 years ago that the sovereignty of nations even then are, is not what it was. It's like the Ned Beatty speech in Network, Mr. Beal. Only this guy's outward about it. And he's going to tell you that they're going to slowly erode away at nation sovereignty, all right, for global governance. Oh, sorry, right here. There's a gradual diminishing, whittling away of sovereignty, little bit by little bit. Uh, especially, of course, in the smaller countries where it's more obvious. But the bigger countries have to do a good deal of this by agreeing with into international arrangements for uh, the law of the seas or for the limits of fishing or for control of, uh, of the wavelengths and radio and 101 other things. But... Uh, and 100... We're going to regulate it all! They got the whole world... In they hand, they got the whole damn world in they hand. 
and a hundred and a thousand and, and a million and one other things. How arrogant is this mother trucker? Uh, especially in the technological field, I think this is going to be increasingly so because of developments next year. I was at an important meeting in Washington a couple of weeks ago, and Peterson, the former Secretary of Commerce, was saying the same thing from an economic point of view that the general world economic situation, interdependence of countries on their food and fuels and so on, is leading to an interdependence which has seeds of draining away of sovereignty within it. So I don't think one can envisage an idealistic of jumping to a world federalism or anything of that sort. But the building up probably in the next uh, decade in a number of uh, particularly sensitive fields like energy, raw materials, uh, the use of the oceans, space and so on, of a number of uh, what people are tending to call regimes, which will not be ordinary United Nations type of organizations, but semi-management organizations. There'll be a great deal of consent in them. There'll be a great deal of consent. Notice how we talked about what? treaties that would erode these sovereignties. And we are constantly talking about these global treaties or agreements. And the regimes that he, he's talking about are the institutions or cabals, if you will, outside of nation states that we've seen more and more of. You know, very outward in this, very arrogant, very in your face. Dr. Bachay views the European common market as an elementary example of the kind of regional cooperative which is going to be necessary. What responsibilities does he see for Australia? You are in a splendid position. What should we do? You have food, energy, space. You are distant from other centres, so you can, for a longer time, feel rather more independent than interdependent. Uh, but things of the world are going so fast that I, I think that an enlightened leadership in Australia should see down the road that Australia will have to lose some of its uh, uh, own uh, 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 self-decisions. Now, this is all about eroding the sovereignty of all nations, but remember we talked about westernized nations. When you think about who had it the absolute 100% worst in western nations, you got to look at Canada and especially what? Australia. I mean, I don't want to call them camps, but I would encourage everybody Everybody who just tuned in, again, another plug, shameless plug for this. No, I'm not getting paid for it. It's that good. Beyond the reset, beyond the reset, must watch, must watch, okay? So um, let's go back to the old Club of Rome. Uh, in order to acquire something else, uh, which uh, may be uh, purely uh, uh, political in very wide sense, or maybe also security. The Club of Rome is... Oh, security. And again, they love their invisible enemies. Security. Oh, it's, it's about security. Reluctant to point the finger at any one nation. 
Yet clearly, nations like the United States, which consumes approximately 60% of the world's resources, will, in the club's view, have to accept a severe cutback in its voracious appetite. It's voracious appetite. The United States is bad. We've got, we've got to cut them out. <laughs> but the club's utterances are cloaked in a velvet democracy in the hope that their facts will gently persuade. We will ask who is making the decision and whether the decision makers of today, whether they perceive the problems, what kind of problems and the interactions of the problems. That's a very pragmatic approach. Has the time come, Dr. King, when we're going to have to say we can no longer entrust our resources and, uh, and the exploitation of those resources to private enterprise? Has the time come when governments will simply have to take more control? Well, what are you talking about? Governments throughout history have nationalized resources continually. And then when we're talking about privatized countries that are doing this stuff, what do they get most of the time? Government contractors. I mean, that's That, I mean, blows my mind. And then we act like, I mean, don't get me wrong, this is 1973, but Central Intelligence Agency working with the International Monetary Fund, you know, one of those global banks, read John Perkins, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, they would go in, okay, on behalf of industry and take over the resources of those countries with corrupt leaders and exploit them. I know, we'll, we'll just let more corrupt leaders exploit all of us and all of our resources and manage everything on behalf of Gaia the Earth. Simple nationalization and things like that wouldn't help at all because we've got to keep an incentive approach. And many of the good aspects of private enterprise are very necessary here, but not in the old exploitative way where the market forces dominated the whole situation. Dr. Pichai, can you tell me what my lifestyle will be in a hundred years' time? What sort of car I'll drive, what sort of house I'll live in, uh, what sort of food I'll be eating? Probably you will uh, uh, have a smaller car. You will use more uh, common transport means. I mean, this is just... Oh, you, again, you're taking the bus, you're taking the train, your car is a smaller, your house is a smaller, you're eating a less. Like, what? Uh, you will work uh, many uh, uh, far less hours. Uh, that's that's the big promise. You're going to work a lot less. Remember that, everybody? This is the big promise we've gone over. Don't worry, the technology is going to make you work less. Instead of one person in the family with five uh, people in that family on average, being able to manage everything, own their own home, Again, own multiple cars, have a piece of land, be able to save money. Remember that? Saving money? No, we turned into a society of debtors where it took two people in most cases to have that same family go into debt, be on a mortgage plan, and hope retirement is going to take care of them at the end with little to no savings. That's the reality. Uh, you will have a wider culture, uh, cultural possibilities that, that today. Uh, you will not be so much pressed by uh, immediate needs because through technology, organization of the markets, the basic needs will be taken care of. Uh, and I think that uh, you will love 
nature and continue then what uh, I think you are doing now uh, to protect uh, our environment, uh, to avoid this uh, uh, man-made world uh, where uh, the creatures of nature, the uh, animals, the plants, uh, the green spaces, the wildernesses uh, are, are bound to disappear. Yeah, they're bound to disappear. No, not even close. We use about 5% of the usable land as human beings with 8 billion people on the planet. So what's he doing right there? First of all, there's the guilt trip of humanity, and then there's the virtue signal that, oh, you're going to be doing the right thing. <laughs> you're going to be doing the right thing. So we got about eight minutes left in the free portion of the broadcast. I do want to remind everybody that we do stream live over at Podbean so you can listen to this. Oh, over on Twitter, I just gave a list of, I think, four or five links of the show, uh, of the premium portion of the broadcast that are now fully free over at uh, Red Voice Media. Dot com. Please support us. Come on over to the paid portion if you can. It's a uh, dollar to start for the first week if you like it. Then it is 10 bucks a month or save yourself 20 bucks. Lock it in at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason or redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored, right? And get 20 bucks off, $100. And that really shows people uh, that you're committed and Red Voice Media can continue to grow. Uh, myself, Drew Berquist, Ray Dietrich, Alicia Powell, Chad Canton, now Matt Couch, and there's going to be a few others. Okay. In this next several minutes, I want to show you what the Club of Rome really is. And we played a clip of this gentleman before talking about smallpox, smallpox eradication. Can't play that on YouTube. We've played it on the premium side of the broadcast. Uh, but this is a gentleman telling you straight up what the Club of Rome actually is. The Club of Rome is one of the most insidious, baneful organizations in existence today, which has done intolerable, immeasurable harm to the United States of America. This committee of 300 told a man called Aurelio Pecky to form this Club of Rome with the main object of bringing down the industries and the agricultural development of the United States. He immediately wrote a paper in which he said there are too many people on the earth and that the United States, with its industrial development, its agricultural development, is responsible for this curse of overpopulation. And he picked up the documentation for his work from Lord Bertrand Russell, a senior statesman of the Committee of 300, and Lord Bertrand Russell had written a work called The Impact of Science on Society. And if you can ever secure a copy of that book, which I doubt you'll be able to get, you will see in there that he said, the world is grossly overpopulated and we have to get rid of at least half of the world's population. And it doesn't matter how we do it. So the Club of Rome was instituted and organized to start an attack on the world's population using the United States as the whipping boy. And they came up with a paper called the Zero Growth Post-Industrial Plan for Industry and Agriculture for the United States of America. Three days 
after that plan was accepted as official United States policy by James Earl Carter, I was able to, through my intelligence people, get a copy of this insidious document. Basically what it said was that the middle class in the United States of America had to be destroyed because in the coming push to a world order, the middle class would be the stumbling block because history had shown that the peasant class in ancient days, when they had revolted, were just easily crushed. crushed. There was no resistance, but now had grown a new super class of people in the United States called the middle class, who had long-term employment, who had job security, who were well-paid, who could afford to buy the products that were made by the United States and didn't need to buy products from China or anywhere else. And the Club of Rome post-industrial zero growth paper said, this has got to stop. We have to bring down the middle class of the United States. And the way that we will do this, the way that we will accomplish this task is by crushing their industries. In 1980, based on this report, I wrote a small work, a booklet called The Death of the United States Steel Industry. And in that, I told of a French aristocrat by the name of Etienne Darignon. And I'm sure there's not a single steel worker in America out of a job who's ever heard of this man's name. But they put this aristocrat onto the job of destroying first the steel industry. In my book in 1980, I said, that by 1985, we would have silent blast furnaces. Let me just stop right there. Davignon is in my film, Invisible Empire, A New World Order, defined. Why? Because via Bilderberg, that's how they created the European Union. And that's how they build these institutions step by step to move you into globalism to the global order this man is talking about. Let's let him finish up before we go over to that second hour. Remember, you can listen to it free over on Podbean, the Info Warrior channel, or come on over to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason and join Premium. The rolling mills would be stopped. There'd be no more shipbuilding. We'd have thousands of skilled workers who'd pass the skills of their trade down for generations who were forever dispossessed of their jobs. If you go to the Northeast United States today, ladies and gentlemen, and I've just been up in Cleveland where I had a very good radio address I gave there, you will find that what I said in 1980s unhappily come to pass. In 1970, the United States had 5,000 ships built by good United States know-how using good United States steel. 5,000 ships sailing the high seas. Last year, we had exactly 270 such ships and at least 50,000 steel workers permanently out of a job, jobs that will never come back. What happened? Did we suddenly lose our marbles? Did we suddenly lose that great American know-how of getting things done? Did we lack finances? Did we run out of money? No. None of those things happened. What happened was this dastardly Club of Rome 
had sent their emissaries to the United States to deliberately destroy our steel plants. And they did it by opening the doors of so-called free trade. And everybody who signed the NAFTA treaty and everybody who signs the GATT treaty when it passes is a traitor and a seditionist. Damn straight. That guy's uh, full video also huge. We never even got to uh, Sir Ian uh, Pilmer in the first part of this broadcast, but I assure you that we will be getting to uh, Pilmer over at the paid portion of the broadcast. So what I'm going to do, and that's uh, Professor Ian Pilmer. You're going to be able to check that out anywhere. We're going to start going over to the premium broadcast one at a time. Shout out to the producer. Goodbye, Rockfin. Later, YouTube. We'll see you there, Twitter. And rumble on rumble. We will just wait one moment as I wait for my texting house to make sure that we are over on the paid portion of the broadcast. Hopefully everything is rocking and rolling. I hope you guys are enjoying this show because um, I think it's an important one. You know, obviously yesterday we talked about micro microchip and the trolling stuff and all that stuff is important. Uh, the FBI and the feds, but this is, you know, long-term can't, can't wait to get it done. Johnny on the spot going on right now, globalism and has been for some time. Oh man, I really hope that we are going to be able to go over and we've just been having so many technical difficulties. I hope that we're not having one today. That's, that's why we're trying to expand folks. We're trying to, you know, keep it up and keep it going. Because I've got Pilmer next, and I mean, I think we've done some powerful videos, and that was a powerful uh, video right there. But Pilmer, just wow, just amazing. So we're still waiting on that text. I don't want to start the video without it. Hope we're get. Hopefully, we're getting there. Dum diddy dum dum dum. <laughs> Oh, I, well, we recorded it anyway, right? So eventually it will come out. Uh, I'm going to give it another minute before we start Pilmer on uh, the uh, side of the broadcast. Who knows? Maybe I'm just not getting texts. That could be too. My phone could be messing up on me. Let's hope that's not happening either. But let's Rumble's do it. Going. Let's let's start with Pilmer. Are you there? Is that my yeah, Rumble's talking going. Now? Rumble's going? All right. So yeah. we're going to just start her up. Okay, here we go. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for coming out tonight. We hear that carbon dioxide is a pollutant. Well, I'm breathing in 0.04% carbon dioxide, and I'm breathing out over 4%. It is the food of life. It is plant food. It is not a pollutant, but it is invisible. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. And like so many things, such as radiation and viruses, you can easily be frightened of something you can't see. And we humans are biologically hardwired to be frightened. That's a survival technique. 
and this is being exploited. Now, tonight, I don't give opinions. I give facts. The first fact is we have one molecule of carbon dioxide per 85,000 molecules in the atmosphere. One in 85,000. And if you look at the carbon dioxide that Australia releases, it's one molecule in six and a half million molecules in the atmosphere. So we are dealing with traces of a trace gas. So why is carbon dioxide, that poor, innocent, invisible molecule, why is it being attacked? Well, it is a symbol of industry. Any heavy industry produces carbon dioxide. And therefore, this is a mechanism of attacking industry. And this attack on industry is easy. Because for 40 years, we have had a dumbing down of our education system. I have had at university students coming into first year who cannot write. <laughs> it's not funny, but he's not wrong. He's like, we've dumbed everybody down globally to the point where it's just buzzwords that we believe like like if we, we the discernment's not there they're exploiting fear and the invisible nature of things like viruses he said Ooh, radiation and now carbon they can print but cursive writing is beyond them they do not know simple things they cannot commit to memory a large body of information. These people have very strong opinions, but nothing to back it up with. And we have had this attack on our education system for decades, and this is destroying the ability of young people to critically and analytically think. It is destroying the ability of young people to engage in polite argument. That now no longer exists, thanks to the demonic social media. I mean, just don't get on social media. It's pornography. Keep away from it. See, I'm a big guy on what? It's a hammer. Social media, I got a hammer over there. I, I could use it to build a house or beat something to death. You know what I'm saying? And don't get me wrong. I, I, I will admit. You know, it, it does turn me off when I see somebody like literally scrolling on the talk or the gram. No talker gram over here. No talker gram. I don't have Facebook on there either. Twitter is my one vice. But again, my Twitter feed isn't twerking or whatever. It's mostly news. It's who I follow. It's mostly news and it's connections. Like, you got to be able to have self-control and everything in moderation. Maybe there's certain things that you should stay away from. And I'm not encouraging you to do bad things, everybody, but I would say moderation is kind of like the key to a happy life. Just my opinion. Just my opinion. Let's continue here. But we have had a massive attack on our education system, concurrent 
with a massive attack on many of the aspects of Western civilization that we hold dear. We've had the history wars, the culture wars. There's an attack on Christianity. It's endless. And we are having our society deconstructed, but it's not being replaced by something better. And so the whole move with human-induced global warming has got nothing to do with the environment. It's got everything to do with deconstruction of the way we think and our society as a mechanism of unelected people gaining power. And I'm sick of it. And that's why I wrote this book, Green Murder. It's a full frontal attack on those who are leading the charge. We had in Senate estimates last year, Malcolm Roberts asked the CSIRO, can you please give me a few scientific papers that prove human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming? Now, I know Malcolm well, and he, he uses some of my questions that I feed him. And the CSIRO presented him with one scientific paper, and then it wasn't on the subject. So he asked them again, can you please show me that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming? That's a trick question. We'll come to that. Like, yeah, uh, you know, again, because it's too many people doing too many things because it's really about command and control. I like this guy. Couldn't. This is a question that I've been asking scientists around the world for 25 years. I've asked journalists this question. I've asked politicians this question. It's no wonder I get cancelled because no one can show from the scientific literature that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. Now, let's, let's imagine that I'm wrong. And once I was wrong, but I was mistaken. But let's imagine I was wrong. And we say, okay, <clears throat> human emissions do drive global warming. Well, the total human emissions are 3% of the total emissions that we get on planet Earth. So if you can show that 3% of emissions drive global warming, you have to show that the 97% of natural emissions, which come from ocean degassing, don't drive global warming. That's never been shown. So we have built this whole empire based on something that cannot be shown. And in fact, you can show the opposite. We know from chemistry about carbon dioxide dissolving in water. The only reason I ordered this is not because I love it, um, but I want you to watch that tonight. And as it warms up, and I don't mind drinking warm beer, um, as it warms up, it is continuing to give off carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide has an inverse solubility. So if you make a cup of tea and stir one, one teaspoon of sugar, it'll dissolve. Put in two if you want to poison yourself, or three or four or five, you can dissolve it. But with carbon dioxide, the exact opposite. You can dissolve more carbon dioxide in cold water than it can in warm water. So as that warms up, it's still giving off bubbles. Now we know that, 
from chemistry. We also know it from drill cores in ice. And, and again, when they go to the drill core stuff, I'm not a scientist by any means. But the scientific literature out there and whether you can carbon date something, all those type of things, I'm extremely skeptical of. I want to throw that out here, but it's worth listening to what, what they've officially found. Officially found, And the drill cores we have in Antarctic and Arctic ice have chemical fingerprints. And we can work out when the planet started to warm, or when the poles started to warm up, and we can actually measure little bits of trapped air in that ice and measure the carbon dioxide content of it. And we find that as the planet starts to warm, and we've only seen this every 100,000 years, for going back 34,000 years, 34 million years, should I say, every time the planet warms up, about 650 to 1600 years later, the carbon dioxide content increases. So on Monday's Mercury, there was a, a letter and a statement claiming that the composition of the atmosphere controls the temperature of the planet. It's the exact opposite. It's the temperature of the atmosphere that controls the amount of carbon dioxide. And the temperature of the atmosphere does not drive climate. It is the temperature of the oceans. That's where the surface heat is held. So, again, that last bit over my head, not going to... Not going to pretend like it's not, but if he's what he's saying is true, again, it's the exact inverse of their argument. And uh, this next segment is the one that I previously discussed, uh, where he talks about the the comets and the dinosaurs and all that, and and, and the the science is settled. I love this clip. I think it's great. We all know, should know, that the Ediacaran fauna is the oldest complex life on Earth. No. New science has shown that it's not. And science is not settled. Science is never settled. Now, you all know, I mean, it's, it's written in stone that that dirty big asteroid, written on it, it says dead dinosaur, and that's heading for Texas. It misses and it hits Mexico and it vaporizes bits of Mexico 65 million years ago. And that vapor is very sulfur rich. The acids kill vegetation. The dinosaurs have got nothing to eat and they die. What a wonderful evocative story. It's fabulous. It may not be true because we find that just a little bit after that, we have these massive volcanic eruptions, the Deccan traps, um, with the same basalts that we see all over the world. And these leaked out sulfur gases, which then poisoned vegetation, and the dinosaurs had nothing to eat. So the consensus is that an asteroid hit Mexico and resulted in the killing of the dinosaurs. But there is another view around that is volcanoes in India. Science is never settled. And once science is settled, it's not science, it's political. Oh, snap. Once science is settled, it's not science. It's political. Now, in this next segment, he really breaks down the farce of wind turbines and solar. 
turbines in particular talking about how they will never save as much energy despite what they tell you as is put into them again the people that do this manipulate the situation as such where the carbon emissions it takes to actually produce these things aren't counted it's just like magic just like the military right it's magic we don't we don't count the carbon emissions from the military because it's magic it doesn't matter magic what do we do with this information? Well, we've got to stop putting all this carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So we start then to dismantle the cheap, reliable systems of generating electricity. And we start to put in wind turbines and solar panels. Now, there have been many calculations that have shown, and I've done it in a couple of books, that the energy used to make a wind turbine is more than it will ever produce in its working life. The carbon dioxide used, uh, released by making that is more than the wind turbine will ever save. And wind turbines only work when it's windy. You can't run an industrial society on intermittent power. You can't have a set of binoculars looking to see if the trees over there are rustling so you can um, start up whatever electrical uh, facility you want. To, but to make matters worse, in this country, if you have a factory or a mine, you have to submit a very large bond to the state government in case you go broke, in case you don't clean up your mess. The wind turbine companies don't have to do that. So exceptions to the rules. You see, they'll work out other industries through regulation and fees, not because they don't want those industries to exist, but because they want to consolidate control of those industries so they can exploit them for what? The predator class. They have everything. So the people that are telling you, you'll own nothing. And while they have those systems, you get the other ones because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. They have thousands of tons of concrete, reinforced with all the steel, wires going on underground. The end of it, they can just walk away. But to make it even worse, the turbine blades are a composite. Balsa wood from the Amazon, um, various plastics um, and various glues using a chemical called bisphenol A. Bisphenol A is banned in virtually every Western country. It is incredibly toxic. BPA. I remember Jonesy talking about this way back in the day. And this is actually, a, I had a conversation with my girlfriend at the time. And we were talking about, B, I was talking about BPA being in the plastics, being in the water bottles and the soup cans, et cetera, and how this thing was uh, feminizing men. And then it was actually a bad thing. And she's like, that's just too far, Jason. And you got to ask yourself, was it done purposely? So many people want to give these people a pass and say, well, they probably found out about it later, but they're making so much money in the power industry. I don't know how often that's the case. I'm not saying it's never the case. But again, to dismiss that they're like that, that's, that's always the case. Mm.
Mm. And at the end of the working life of those blades, they get cut up and dumped, such that these <laughs> chemicals leach out into the soils and leach out into the waterways. And the parts, the spinning magnets and the blades are made in China. So if we want wind power, we are really reliant on China. Solar power is no different. The sun effectively gives you about six hours a day of electricity. And by the solar rays hitting the silicon wafers, an electron will jump and then it'll drop back again and give out electricity. Now, that electron jump is based on one wavelength from the sun, not the complete spectrum. You cannot make solar power more efficient. Yes, you can use other compounds, gallium compounds and things, but yeah, we've just got no gallium on planet Earth. We, we, we really cannot do better than having a silicon solar panel. Now, to make those, and there's a strong view out, and Amnesty International have published on this, that these are made by slave labour in China. The amount of energy used to make them is horrendous. And then there's all these other toxins on, on the wiring, things like arsenic and gallium and lead and indium. And at the end of a solar panel's life, it is dumped. And those toxins leach out into the water and into the um, soils. And those solar panels, like the wind turbines, come from China. We have made ourselves totally dependent upon China. And in this book, which came out late last year, I've argued that Europe was totally dependent on Mr. Putin's gas and what's happened, exactly that. So you cannot in any way argue that wind and solar are environmentally friendly. When you look at solar, okay, I'm not saying there aren't advancements to be made. So I, again, Kurzweil says that we're harnessing almost none of it. And I, I do wonder about the classified materials that would allow for better production of solar. But again, do you really want cheap energy, right? Do you, I mean, do, do you really want cheap energy for the populace you're trying to control? No. And you notice that the term pollution isn't around. It's all about carbon emissions and net zero. And he's talking about real pollutants. I mean, we showed you that crazy cobalt farm video of the guys coming out of the mine, jumping, hey, hey. We've shown you, you know, the children uh, at these mines. That's not even China. And China is not only uh, a big part of this industry because of the slave labor, but because they're the model. Right? Well, you know, the previous guy talking about the Club of Rome and kind of this idea of globalization through NAFTA and other treaties was seditionist. But again, the guys from the Club of Rome said, don't worry, we're going to just chip away little by little at uh, sovereignty of nations through treaties and cooperation. Okay, global fascism. That's really what it is, command and control. And especially the case with wind, where you slice and dice birds and bats, especially offshore wind. So uh, this is not an environmental solution. Now, wind and solar do not operate using the wind and the sun. They operate because of subsidies, massive subsidies, which you pay. 
So the solution has not been wind and solar. But then the argument goes a little bit further. Oh, let's have a green car. Let us um, have electricity coming from wind and solar to charge up my electric vehicle. Problem is, if five people in your street have an electric vehicle, you don't have enough power to cook a meal that night. The amount of power that they use is enormous. The fuel range is very, very uh, small. It's getting a bit better, but it's still small. And the other day I drove from, when was it? Um, Tuesday, I drove from Broken Hill to Adelaide, 525 kilometres. I did that in about five and a half hours. If I was to do that in an electric car, it might have taken me two days, perhaps three days. It's just not efficient. You know, and that's one of the things that I talk about. You know, first of all, I've never had an electric car. I don't know how long they take to charge, but I do know that I drive across the country and have for quite some time over the past two decades, really, since my early 20s. Uh, you're, you're not making it to Cali from New York. I'm not making it from Iowa to DC. Uh, you, you know, the way I'm going to in a gas vehicle where I stop and get gas three, four, five, six times, depending. Depending on whether or not it's 30 plus hours or just 14 or 15. And, and that's something that's not really discussed. So I want to make those trips. I either now have to fly or I've got to take public transit, right? Or I've got to rent a vehicle. That's actual reality. But again, something that's not discussed because the green agenda doesn't really want you traveling that much. They'd rather have you in the quote unquote 15 minute city. They want to restrict your movement. That's the reality. But I drive this electric car and I strut around morally superior to you because I'm saving the planet, aren't I? And I'm virtue signaling. However, Electric cars use a lot of commodities. The amount of metals that are used in electric cars is horrendous. We have not found them yet. We haven't got enough lithium, copper, nickel, cobalt, manganese. We haven't found it yet. So if everyone goes electric, the mining industry has got a real problem. It doesn't have the metals. And secondly, if you are to build these mines, do you build them in third world countries where the environmental laws are a bit slack or do you build them in Australia? Now, I'm a, um, associated with a company called Roy Hill, which has got a big iron ore mine in Western Australia. And that needed approvals and permits to build the mine. Does anyone want to have a guess at the number of approvals and permits needed to build a mine in the Pilbara, an iron ore mining part of Western Australia, in Western Australia, an iron ore mining state. In Australia, an iron ore mining country. How many permits do you think were needed to build an iron ore mining mine in the Pilbara? If, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going blind. 200. 75 to 125? More than that. Any going on more than that? Any going on more than that? More than that? More than that? More than that? Can we get a higher figure? I want a higher 300, I want a higher figure than that. Higher figure, higher figure, more than that, more than that, more than that. Come on, I need a higher figure. It is 4,950. 4,950? Even I wasn't ready for that. Even I wasn't ready for that. 
4,950. Look at this guy spent 4,950. Now, how on earth have we allowed ourselves to get into this situation? And if we need 4,950 permits and we want to produce more metal for electric cars, it will take 20 years of environmental lawfare permitting and expenditure before you can even start to get near those metals. So there's no way we can in the Western world produce the metals we need for electric vehicles. You know, unless there's not as many people in the Western world and unless those people are on a UBI and don't drive because they don't have jobs. By the way, McDonald's about to fire a bunch of their uh, uh, executives. Lots of companies about to lean it up as automation comes in. It's not just the lower workers. Lot, a lot of companies getting rid of people they don't need. Profits aren't there. How could they be? You got a mantra of sustainability and net zero. All right. I said I would do this uh, on the second half of the broadcast. We still got quite a bit of time over here on the premium side of the show. So we're going to play Trump with Klaus Nutschwab at Davos. Remember, we cut in about 21-ish minutes into it in the 30-minute speech. Uh, let, let's see how this has aged. This is World Economic Forum Trump uh, right, you know, right before he gets ousted, really just before he gets cabaled out of there, before the next election gets fortified, after he consents and, and really promotes aspects of the COVID-1984 nightmare. Gentlemen, let's press uh, look, the pause President button because the president's here now. Approaching the podium right now, being introduced by uh, Klaus Schwab, who is the head well, of the World Economic much, Forum Klaus, again, Donald Trump taking the stage very special. here in Davos. Congratulations on your 50th year hosting the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, a truly amazing achievement. It's an honor to address the distinguished members of this organization for the second time as president. When I spoke at this forum two years ago, I told you that we had launched the great American comeback. Today, I'm proud to declare that the United States is in the midst of an economic boom, the likes of which the world has never seen before. We've regained our stride, rediscovered our spirit, and reawakened the powerful machinery of American enterprise. America is thriving. America is flourishing. And yes, America is winning again like never before. Just last week alone, the United States concluded two extraordinary trade deals the agreement with China and the United States, Mexico, Canada agreement, the two biggest trade deals ever made. They just happened to get done in the same week. These agreements represent a new model of trade for the 21st century agreements that are fair, reciprocal, and that prioritize the needs of workers and families. America's economic turnaround has been nothing short of spectacular when I took office three years ago. America's economy was in a rather dismal state. Under the previous administration, nearly 200,000 manufacturing jobs had vanished. Wages were flat or falling. 
almost 5 million more Americans had left the labor force than had gotten jobs, and more than 10 million people had been added to the food stamp rolls. The experts predicted a decade of very, very slow growth, or maybe even negative growth, high unemployment, and a dwindling workforce. Because that's what very they much a because that's not what they predicted. That's what they projected through their policies they thought they were going to put through. Again, I, I truly believe there were aspects of Trump that were absolutely rogue, and they thought they were going to steal 2016 from him. And, and this did change the course. Fortunately, it didn't change the course enough, especially when we're talking about foreign policy. And like right after this, I mean, you call it the great surrender. Because all this economic stuff that he's talking about, bye-bye, el inflationo, feeling it now oh. Hmm? Hmm? Okay, not as many jobs, though. <laughs> Shrinking middle class. Millions of hardworking, ordinary citizens felt neglected, betrayed, forgotten. They were rapidly losing faith in the system. Before my presidency began, the outlook for many nations was bleak. A protracted worldwide recession. Pessimism had taken root deep in the minds of leading thinkers, business leaders, and policymakers. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we talked about how much we love the World Bank, and I'm so glad the World Bank um, was involved with the Club of Rome, with the United Nations. And this, you know, this is the 50th annual meeting here at, at WEF in 12. People, 73 is 50 years ago. So, you know, all these organizations, the synthesis, the drive, it comes out of post-World War II. But, you know, I tell people this because it's real. And I watch a lot of History Channel. Uh, I'm not a History Channel. It's American Heroes Channel. It's what the History Channel used to be. And I'm watching, for instance, the ineffectiveness when it comes to military strength and power of all these organizations with the League of Nations then. With the League of Nations then. When smaller nations would be like, please don't allow our nation to be overtaken. And everybody would be like, yeah, whatever. Peace out, Cub Scout. And that person either be killed or exiled or whatever. Just, you know, go take refuge uh, in some other country. And the League of Nations was very much the precursor to the United Nations doing the same thing with the same forums. It's just people got hip to it then, and unfortunately, they fell for um, basically its successor and the many other organizations used to prop up that successor and those ideal sets. Yet despite all of the cynics, I had never been more confident in America's future. I knew we were on the verge of a profound economic resurgence if we did things right one that would generate a historic wave of investment, wage growth, and job creation. I knew that if we unleashed the potential of our people, if we cut taxes, slashed regulations, and we did that at a level that's never been done before in the history of our country in a short period of time, fixed broken trade deals and fully tapped American energy, 
that prosperity would come thundering back at a record speed. And that is exactly what we did, and that is exactly what happened. Since my election, America has gained over 7 million jobs, a number unthinkable. I wouldn't say it, I wouldn't talk about it, but that was a number that I had in mind. The projection was 2 million, we did seven. More than three times the government's own projections. The unemployment rate is now less than 3.5%. And at 3.5%, that's a number that is the lowest in more than 50 years. And, and look, it's not like he fully reversed what I've been talking about in the sense that it still takes a couple both working to have a home. We're still the debtors society, but we were doing better economically just out of the, out of the get-go from the Trump administration. Now, the wealthy were obviously doing very well. Mm -hmm. It's right around this point, again, when the COVID-1984 nightmare takes off and we get to the point where we're shutting down the stock market in March and then flooding printed capital into the system globally through the Federal Reserve that the real problems began. And it also gives... Uh, the, the Democratic talking point, the zombie J talking point about how much uh, the debt went up and how, and how much money they printed. Now, don't get me wrong. As soon as uh, Biden got in, he did it even worse. I mean, he, he pumped and dumped, pump, 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 pumped it up. And, and we're going to be feeling and are feeling and are seeing the repercussion, the repercussions of that through small bank failures through the fact that government bonds are no longer what they once were and, and that this is the takeover from within via these globalist organizations through the predator class. That's what's happening. The average unemployment rate from my administration is the lowest for any U.S. president in recorded history. We started off with reasonably high rate. For the first time in decades, we are no longer simply concentrating wealth in the hands of a few. We're concentrating and creating the most inclusive economy ever to exist. We are lifting up Americans of every race, color, religion, and creed. Unemployment rates among African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans have all reached record lows. African-American youth unemployment has reached the lowest it's ever been in the history of our country. And, and, you know, you say what you want. I don't like to divide things up by race. The thing was, under Trump, although they tried to portray it differently, white supremacy, white dominance, white hate, white rage, white, 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 anti-Semitism on the right, all that bullshit. All that bullshit amplified under Trump. I'm not saying it's all there because it is who you know, but there was more equality of opportunity. Okay. More of a meritocracy, the complete and total opposite of what quote unquote equity is. All right. Because equity and equality, they ain't the same thing. They, they are just simply not. That is not what we mean at all. 
African-American poverty has plummeted to the lowest rate ever recorded. The unemployment rate for women reached the lowest level since 1953, and women now comprise a majority of the American workforce. That's for the first time. The unemployment rate for veterans has dropped to a record low. The unemployment rate for disabled Americans has reached an all-time record low. Workers without a high school diploma have achieved the lowest unemployment rate recorded in U.S. history. Wages are rising across the board, and those at the bottom of the income ladder are enjoying the percentage by far largest gains. So we're six minutes deep into this. You notice how it's dead silence? I, I made that uh, observation before. Dead silence on this. But it's jail day for Trump. It's jail day for Trump. It's jail day for Trump. Here it is. Courtroom jail day. Look at the circus. There's Bragg. There's the DA. He's a, he's a real guy. Yeah, I'll bet you there. Searches in polls, <laughs> record funding. Oh boy, the cartoon circus will continue. You're damn right, it's the biggest. I, I normally don't like being in New York City for that long anyway. Like, New York City is a, a trip, it's a few days at, at best, it's never more than a week. It's a visit, it's always what it is. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. Not for that circus. Count me out. All right, let's continue with a little bit more Trump, the World Economic Forum. Workers' wages are now growing faster than management wages. Earnings growth for the bottom 10% is outpacing the top 10%, something that has not happened. Paychecks for high school graduates are rising faster than for college graduates. Young Americans just entering the workforce are also sharing in America's extraordinary prosperity. Since I took office, more than two million millennials have gotten jobs and their wages have grown by nearly 5% annually, a number that was unthinkable. Nobody would have ever thought it was possible three years ago. A record number of Americans between the ages of 25 and 34 are now working. In the eight years before I took office, over 300,000 working age people left the workforce. In just three years in my administration, 3.5 million people have joined the workforce. 10 million people have been lifted off welfare in less than three years. Celebrating the dignity of work is a fundamental pillar of our agenda. And look, Joe Biden constantly talking about dignity and work and a job, the dignity that the, the pride a man has in his work. That's a real thing. I mean, Biden tries to exploit it because he's never, you know, really worked a day in his life. It's not what he did. You know, he lied, he cheated, he stole, he plagiarized, he winked, he talked. I don't know if they ever worked. Okay. But, you know, I look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I totally take pride in this job. I love this job. You know, uh, whether I want to or not, I don't do myself the disservice of not getting up and not preparing for the job like today. 
Like I had, I had a baseline in my head last night when I went to bed on what I wanted to do it on, kind of shift gears from the um, MAGA meme microchip Mackie trial. I wanted to shift gears and do that. I came in this morning knowing I was going to do Ian um, Plilmer, but I'm always up two hours beforehand. So even when I'm in the shower and I'm singing along to my songs and I'm going to get my coffee, thinking about what I'm going to get. So I go get that, and then I find the Club of Rome stuff, and I'm like, oh, it's Trump arrest day. Let's get some Trumpsky and Hutch on there as well. And, and there's the day. There's a certain pride in that. I don't want to be too proud. I'm not a religious guy. The, the Bible will tell you don't be too prideful, right? Not trying to let that ego get a hold. But. There is something to be said for having a purpose, a drive. And when that aligns with your work, man, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now, imagine the opposite of that, what they want you to have, which is a system of total and complete servitude, of a feeling of not even mediocrity and not of abundance, but you're bad and you need to be part of a social universal basic income welfare style system and that's why it's important that he talks about basically from welfare to work take it from somebody myself that grew up in a family that was on those programs even before the ebt card there there was the food stamps at, at a very young age i realized what was going on and it was it's not easy growing up poor. I'm not crying. I'm very lucky to be born in this country and given the equality of opportunity on so many levels throughout my life, right? To be a part of jobs that were actual meritocracies, which I could at least, you know, gain and get up to a certain level. To to be in a country where, yeah, no, freedom of speech, whether you, whether you want to believe it or not, it, it was here. It still is kind of here, but the restrictions have gotten uh, greater and greater, right? That's a big deal. And when you take all that away and you feel helpless and hopeless, then you have a more docile population controllable. That's what they're after. When you have somebody that's prideful of what they do and realizes, hey, I can achieve things. I can set goals. There are certain barriers that are in my way, but I'm going to bust them the truck up barrel through, find a way over, around. Well, then all of a sudden, you're a challenge to them. Okay, you're a challenge to the system. You might not be as malleable as they like. That's a problem. That's a problem. Let's play a little more Trumpsky and Hutch before we wrap it up. I do want to remind everybody, we've got a huge block. And if you're watching Premium, uh, you got the uh, Power Reports. You got... Uh, Matt Couch and his uh, premium portion of the broadcast. You got Drew Burquist. You got Ray Dietrich and so many others. Uh, because really, they, they do great interviews over here as well. And, and again, expansion. That's what this is all about, reaching more people. That's important. This is a blue-collar boom. Since my election, the net worth of the bottom half of wage earners has increased by plus 47 percent, three times faster than the increase for the top one percent. Real median household income is at the highest level ever recorded. 
The American dream is back, bigger, better, and stronger than ever before. No one is benefiting more than America's middle class. We have created 1.2 million manufacturing and construction jobs, a number also unthinkable. After losing 60,000 factories under the previous two administrations, hard to believe when you hear 60,000 factories, America has now gained in a very short period of time, 12,000 new factories under my administration and the number is going up rapidly. We'll be beating the 60,000 number that we lost, except these will be bigger, newer. <laughs> the tr- <laughs> I mean, all derailed. And quite frankly, even if he's able to find a way back in, I don't know if they can come back. I really don't. And the latest years of economic stagnation have given way to a roaring geyser of opportunity. U.S. stock markets have soared by more than 50 percent since my election, adding more than 19 trillion dollars to household wealth and boosting 401ks, pensions and college savings accounts for millions of hardworking families. What's the reality on those pensions right now? What's the reality on that inflated stock market right now? What's the reality on your savings account in a bank like, I don't know SVB right now. And I'm not putting that on Trump. I'm just pointing out where we are. Folks, I think that's going to wrap it up for me. I know it's a big news day. A lot of people are going to be talking about Trumpsky and Hutch and the arrest and all that. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'd encourage you to check out Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies if you want to learn about 9-11, and then Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, especially if you want to find out about these organizations we've been talking about. Shade the motion picture for that bigger picture, modern idea of what they're after. Oh, I'm hearing the thunder and the lightning. It's getting ready to storm in Iowa. We had hail and a crazy storm. I know a lot of you saw the tornadoes. But I think we're going to be A-OK here. Remember, folks, it is not about left or right. It is always about right and wrong. I absolutely love you guys. Thank you so much for coming over to the paid portion of the broadcast. And we will see you on the flip side.